Old Testament lesson is found in Genesis chapter 1. We are reading verses 26 through 30. Then God said, Let us make man in our image, after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea, and over the birds of the heavens, and over the livestock, and over all the earth, and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, be fruitful and multiply and fill the earth and subdue it and have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over every living thing that moves on the earth. And God said, Behold, I have given you every plant yielding seed that is on the face of the earth and every tree with seed in its fruit. You shall have them for food. And to every beast of the earth and to every bird of the heavens and to everything that creeps on the earth, everything that has the breath of life, I have given every green plant for food. And it was so. God saw everything that he had made, and behold, it was very good. And there was evening, and there was morning, the sixth day. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we come to your word this morning. We recognize that you are the author of life. You have spoken all things into existence. You continue to uphold everything by the power of your word. And you promise today that you speak, that you are here present as we read your word. And so we come to you dependent and we ask that you speak, Lord, for your servants who listen. Amen. It is good to be back with you after several weeks away, then one week back, and then missing again. Last week I was on study leave and had the opportunity to preach for one of my closest long-term seminary friends, a man named Jason Hood, who was being installed at a Presbyterian church in Chattanooga, Tennessee. And so, good to be back with everything for the fall now kind of starting to unfold as we continue here in the Psalms of Ascent. One of the things that I always miss when away for the weeks of summer is simply being present in worship. It's not so much just the routines of preaching and teaching weekly, but it's just being in the company of God's people as we sing together, as we pray together, as we confess our sins together, as we profess our faith together. Missing all of that. Getting to see other churches is often wonderful and gives us new ideas, but it's just simply good to be home as we gather Sunday by Sunday. Over dinner this week, one of our members who's on the newer side said to me, I want to tell you how meaningful the music is in our church to my spiritual life. And then he went on to describe what it is for him. Each day when he wakes up, something from the prior Sunday comes to mind. I will not sing these for you to spare you that uh, experience. But he was talking about how the meditation on Scripture meets music and how it encodes it into the brain and then makes it particularly portable throughout life. And isn't that the truth? When we have the rich hymns and songs and spiritual songs of the church, and when those meet good music, that they travel with us, they go with us. And what we've seen in the Psalms of Ascent is this is exactly what this little hymn book, this collection of songs was for Israel on their way up to the feast three times a year, in which they had encoded there and these little hymns, the values and beliefs, the longings and the hopes, all the aspirations of the people of God, of the church, 
collected here. What we see this morning is something that is unique, though, in this Psalm of Ascent, Psalm 128. You see, it begins with the Beatitude. Blessed is everyone who... And then it closes with a benediction. May the Lord bless you. It stands out amongst all these other psalms. And what we have here, though, between this beatitude and this benediction is a vision of what it looks like for human beings to flourish. It's an argument about what it means to live a good life. What the good life looks like according to God and His definition. And so it's important for us to ask this morning, what is it? What is the good life that's captured here in Psalm 128? And we'll discover three things along the way. We'll see the definition of the good life. We'll find the goal of it and also the source of it. So let's look at each in turn. First in verse 1, we discover the definition of the good life. Follow with me. Blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Our psalm begins with a beatitude that's simply a statement that offers wisdom and it invites all who hear it into the way and path of God's wisdom. Beatitudes are found throughout the Bible. You find them particularly in the book of Proverbs. You find them collected in the Psalms. Jesus, of course, has eight famous beatitudes that he offers in the Sermon on the Mount. We have blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. Psalm 32 begins, blessed are those whose transgressions are forgiven and whose sins have been covered. Psalm 65, blessed is the one you choose and bring near to dwell in your courts. We could go on and on. The attitudes are rich statements about the condition we have as the people of God, as those who he has forgiven and brought near and all that we enjoy in front of him. Psalm 128 captures all of this and condenses it in the words that blessed is everyone who fears the Lord, who walks in his ways. Now this phrase, fearing the Lord, is oftentimes misunderstood. It's been the impoverished imagination of fundamentalism that has bequeathed this to us in so many ways. When we think of the fear of God, we think that, that he is the divine judge out to get us. That he's just waiting to squish us for that mistake that we make. This is what we often think of when we approach the idea of the fear of the Lord. But rather, when we talk about the fear of God, it's talking about the reverence and the awe and the respect that is due to God as the majestic, as the holy one, as the loving creator of all things, as the author of salvation, as the one who promises to consummate and finish all of that work in rescuing creation from its fallenness. That yes, there is an appropriate fear of God. And the psalmist then goes on to explain it in the next line as to how that fear plays out. That fear plays out, that respect and that all, by walking in his ways. Now when we think of walking in his ways, some people just simply associate that with following the rules of God. But it's important to recognize that in the Bible, walking in God's ways is something broader than that. It's not simply to focus upon the rules of God, but also the promises of God. You see, walking in the ways of God is taking up the covenant and all the promises that God makes with us. Of course, that involves the precepts of God, what He commands us to do. But to, be, to walk in the way that is blessed, to enjoy the wisdom of God, it involves embracing all the ways in which God forms relationship with us. 
And that begins in the forgiveness of sins. That begins in what He's done for us in Jesus. How He draws near to us. And then He offers us wisdom. And that He's leading us in a different way. A life that is blessed by Him. And this is the definition of it. That to have a happy life. To have a contented life. To have a whole life. To have a life of integrity. This is what the word blessed points to. To have all of that means to be in right relationship with God. It means to be reconciled to Him. And it means to be transformed by Him day over day and week over week. And this is the sum of the argument in this very simple hymn given to us by the people of God long ago. That you can trace, you can chase happiness. But you're never going to find it. When you seek it apart from the living God. We can chase it, but we'll be chasing our own tails. We'll never find it. That until we are in right relationship with God, until we properly fear Him and we're walking in His ways, that blessedness that we all long for, that every human being wants and craves, is always going to be elusive. Reading a sermon by John Calvin this summer out of his sermons on Genesis, it's interesting to read people preaching in a different day and a different time. And what Calvin argues there as he preaches on Genesis 1 is that the mistake we make, the mistake we make is that we look to created things to actually bring meaning and, and, and substance to our lives. And that we think that the gifts that God gives us in the creation can actually support our happiness. And Calvin exhorts his congregation never to find their happiness in the good gifts that God happens to share. He says, when you do that, that bridge can never hold that weight. It will collapse on you every time. Those gifts were intended and they were given by God to deliver you to Him. And so never put your weight on the created gifts, the things that you can find inside of this life. That blessedness, true happiness, true contentment, those can only be found in relationship with God when we're rightly walking in His ways and fearing His name. And so that's the first contention of the psalm, is the definition of what it means to have a good life. But verses 2 through 3, we see the goal of the good life. If you follow along, we find two descriptions. You shall eat the fruit of the labor of your hands. You shall be blessed and all shall be well with you. Your wife will be like a fruitful vine within your house. Your children will be like olive shoots around your table. There are two promises here connected to the blessed life. The first is about work. The second is about family. And many people immediately ask, well, what happens if my work is particularly frustrating and my family life is not particularly good? Does that mean I'm not blessed? It's important to recognize the context that this comes in inside of the Old Testament. We read our Old Testament lesson from Genesis 1. And God, on the sixth day, created human beings. And He created them in His image. And then He commanded them to do two things. What were those two things? have dominion over the earth, to work, to bring out its fruitfulness, to take all that God had given in raw material and use all their ingenuity and skill in bringing it to its potential. God blessed human beings to do that. Work is a good thing. 
And the second was that the image of God was to multiply other images. That a God, like an ancient Near Eastern king, would have images of himself. And he wouldn't just have a few if he was a great king. No, if he was a great king, he would multiply images of, of himself all around his kingdom. And so God commands Adam and Eve to multiply images of themselves. That these would be to the glory of God. Two commands prior to the fall. And so what do we have here? We have the blessing of human beings within these two commands, despite all the difficulty and the futility that's now been introduced into both our work and into our homes. We also see that in the New Testament that these aren't just limited to our homes or to our workplaces. That the idea of taking dominion over the earth is also connected with the Great Commission. That the idea of being a father and a mother and having a rich household is also connected to the church. That all these things take on a wider lens when, when we look at the broader range of Scripture. What's critical for us to get here is to understand what the blessing of God is intended to do. What is its goal? And in the statement that God would bless us in our work and God would bless us in our families, what's important to get is that God is renewing and restoring us by His blessing in His image. You see, that image has been defaced and it's been marred in every one of us because of our rebellion against God. And what God is now doing in Jesus is He's restoring us and He's renewing us in the image that we were originally intended to be. This is exactly what the Apostle Paul argues in Colossians 3. Is that we are being restored in knowledge according to the image of our Creator. And this is what the blessing of God does. It restores you in being a human being according to God's design. Now, why is this so important? Why was this encoded in this hymn for Israel? It's important because there's one simple thing about every one of us in this room. And when God gives us a command, one of the very first places we go is to be suspicious of that command. When anyone tells us something that we are supposed to do, typically we respond in some suspicion. Is this person really out for my good? Calvin says it this way, is that we'll never obey God until our distrust of Him is removed. And it's critical for us to understand and appreciate that when God commands us something, or when God blesses us, why is He doing that? In order to recover our humanity, what it means to be a human being, what it means to live a good life. And so when God commands us to love Him above everything else and to love our neighbor, in the same way that we love ourselves, those two commands that sum up all of the Christian life, therefore you're good. This God is never going to harm you. He's never going to command something of you that's going to tire you out, that's going to destroy you, that's going to lead to your destruction. In no way is He going to do that. Because what God is after, in all of His blessings, in all of His commands, is the restoration and renewal of human life as to what our original intent and design was always to be. This is where God is taking us. This is where He's going. And so this is the goal of the good life, the restoration of humanity. But finally, in the close of the psalm, in verses 5 and 6, we see the source of this good life. 
Not only does it have a definition, not only does it have a goal, but it's also derived from somewhere. Someone determines it. And in verse 5, we have it stated emphatically, after the announcement of the beatitude, we have the benediction. The Lord bless you from Zion. Now, the tradition of benedictions in Israel is rich. Number 624 is the benediction that I pronounce most every week here at Christ Church. It runs back deep into Israel's history. The blessing of the people of God. As the people receive that blessing in faith, is actualized and becomes real as they receive the promise of God. It's a good word from God. And then we find those benedictions continuing to flow along with the Beatitudes of God all the way through the, through the course of the Scriptures. What's important for us to recognize is that words shape our world in so many ways. Week to week, you hear and read an incredible number of words. More than any other human beings in the history of creation, you are bombarded by messages, memes, advertisements, words from others. You're connected on email, you're connected on chat, you're connected on voicemail, over the cell phone, person to person, in all kinds of ways, we are intersecting with words week over week. We hear affirmations, we hear criticisms. We hear encouragements, we hear corrections. We hear slurs, we also hear advice. And the net effect is that we're sculpted by all of these words that we hear. Words spoken by others. Once spoken, words tend to stay with us. Some, of course, go in one ear and out the other. But when we're honest, we all recognize that certain words spoke by certain people reside in us. They echo down through the years. Sometimes they stay with us the entirety of our lives, both the good ones and the bad ones. And here we have God speaking a word to us. What will we do with that? Several weeks ago, I was sitting with a friend as we were recounting our past year and the different places that God had taken us, and he was particularly grieving the upcoming death of his father. Aging, knowing that he's going to, uh, to pass away, anticipating that, and then already celebrating his life and also stepping into the grief of that. And so we began talking about our various experiences with our fathers, the ways that they had blessed us. We were sitting at a restaurant in Clayton, North Carolina, and there pulled up to the, to the, uh, to the bar, we're sharing these stories, and he said, well, what's one of your favorite memories that you have of your dad? I said, this is easy. He said, I was 24 years old, and in some ways I just came into my own that year, and I shared with my dad that I was going to be engaged to a young woman named Melissa Timms, and that my goal was to then go to seminary. I wasn't sure how my dad was going to receive this at the time as I shared it. He'd always been supportive. But the first words out of his mouth, almost immediately, he said, Son, I'm so proud of you. My friend said, Man, your cup was full of what? <laughs> as soon as I heard that. 24 years old, and here I am, 43 years old, almost 20 years later, telling this story to my friend in tears. 
know? I'll buy this good word from my dad. Son, I'm proud of you. And friends, that's the power of a good word from someone placed in our lives who has particular authority, from someone who has the power to announce that blessing to us. But each week, you intersect something more powerful. As powerful as a word can be from a father or from a mother or from a mentor, whoever it may be, there is a more powerful authority that speaks a word of blessing over you every week. And the challenge for us is to hear it in that way. That affirming, that deep, that profound. That God comes each week and he offers a word of blessing upon your life. A word of encouragement. A word of empowerment. A word that can shape and sculpt you when you learn how to hear and how to receive it. You see, the benediction here in Psalm 128 empowers us into the life that God blesses. It's the source that continues it again and again. That we would continue to walk in the fear of God. That we would continue to walk in His ways. That we would know what it means to be the forgiven people. That we would know what it is to hear His command. That we would know what it is to follow God. That's what the benediction is all about. And so week over week, hear Him speak. Listen to Him. In all the ways that He speaks as we gather together, listen to Him. Let Him affirm you. And if you in particular are one who has many negative messages laced throughout your life, this becomes critically important. To listen to God who has more authority than anyone else who calls you His own who states that He stands to bless you this day in Jesus. That's the one you want to listen to and allow that to drown out any of the negativity, any of the disaffirmations, any of the things that have torn you down, any words that have been spoken in that negative, critical space. God will speak a better word to you. It's to hear Him. And this is the good life. This is what Israel captured for us in this little hymn. A short song that leads us into what it means to be blessed by God. To know its definition. To know where true happiness can be found and is had. To know what the goal of that is in the reshaping of what it means to be a human being. And to know that the source of it comes from God Himself. That we're dependent upon Him. And we must hear Him as He speaks the word of blessing. A better word over our lives in Jesus. And so look to Him. Let's pray. Father, we are grateful for the Beatitudes that You have spoken. The condition that You have placed upon our lives in Jesus. And setting us apart for Yourself. And we are grateful for Your blessing. The benediction that You speak week over week over our lives. Help us, God. May we walk fully into that, we pray in the name of our Lord Jesus.